Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Saturday. What? April 3rd, 2021. You're listening to episode number 488. Again, I am your host, Steve Say. And joining me for this week's repeat podcast is Mr. Bob Breyer. Did you ever get the feeling of deja vu? All the time, especially right now. And John Burkle is here. Timey, wimey, crazy, wazy. Ooh. Uh, yeah. So you might have heard, or you didn't hear because there was no podcast. <laughs> you might have seen it on our Twitter. Uh, there was some internet shenanigans. Zencaster apparently didn't like what we said on our last podcast and was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to corrupt your files. I'm going to make sure that your settings aren't correct and you're going to be talking through your webcam instead of your actual Yeti microphone. And uh, you're going to be real embarrassed about it. So <laughs> that's the short version of what happened and why this podcast is getting to you late and why we only have so many bodies hitting the floor. But say things like that as bad as I feel tonight, okay? <laughs> you, could, you could not say that. All right. Bob just got his first vaccine no, shot. No, second. Second. Oh, so it's your second. My that's second, right. Yeah. Bob's podcasting you know, from curled up on the floor. He's yeah, a trooper. mostly fetal <laughs> position with two bathrobes, a sweatshirt, and a blanket. Wow, no, I'm I'm cold. Oh boy, I can't wait to get my vaccination. One of it's these a, centuries, it's important. It is yes, and it's, it is it, absolutely. It just you're you're not sick. I know people are thinking, oh, can you get the the COVID from the vaccine? No, you can't. But what happens is your immune system preparing itself. Mm-hmm. So that means everything hurts. Everything hurts. <laughs> um, I was I've been really cold the whole day, and then had a, a, a yeah. low grade fever here and there. And I walked out the door this morning to go to work. I barely got to work. I, I, I and then I left early. I got got up about eight o'clock in the morning, which is might as well be noon. <laughs> I walked out the door. It was snowing on Long Island this morning. Oh yeah. Oh. Yep. It snowed here yesterday. Yeah. Like, oh, great. Yep. Yeah, this this makes me feel much better. <laughs> I looked out my window. I was at work, and I looked out my window. I was just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Thought the same thing. Went through an entire quart of apple juice today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. But I've moved on now. It looks like apple juice, but it's Jameson's Irish whiskey. Nice. <laughs> neat. Maybe you make yourself uh, like a hot toddy or something like Sounds that. Sounds like my uh, grandpa's medicine. It's, Back it's, in the day. it's medicinal. There's no question about that. I was thinking of making an Irish coffee, but I yeah. don't know if my tummy will handle that. 
That was the worst. And when I got my, I have, I got my second one about three weeks ago and I had the, the chills and the hands and that was, that was the worst. And then I fell asleep for about 24 hours and then I felt fine. So hopefully by tomorrow you're on the mend. I have wow. to be, I have to go see Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. That'll make in you feel th- better. In a theater. Oh, that's, I'm, I am jealous. I'm envious of, of you going to the theater, Bob. As I was watching it, I'm like, this is going to look really good in IMAX. You're seeing an IMAX, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. That was one of the things when we were watching it last night, mm-hmm. I'm, I, the whole time I'm thinking, man, I bet this looked great on the big screen. Yeah. <sighs> we're, we're I want to see Mortal Kombat in a theater so badly. Uh, look, here in New York, we're at, I think, 25%. Mm-hmm. This is the number they're putting out in the city, I think 50% on the island. And Godzilla vs. Kong has done really nice numbers. Yeah. In theater. Yep. It's like 16.9 million yeah. to start, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's definitely a movie theater movie. That is yeah. for damn sure. Yeah, I've been and playing... people are... Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I was just... I... The first two in this, first three in this legendary MonsterVerse thing have mm-hmm. all been fun to watch in a movie theater. Yeah. Yes. They're big and, yes, are they a little obvious? Who cares? It's no, just you wait. Okay. <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> okay. There is some science in this new movie. Is Charles There's... Dance in this movie? I have a theory. Do you uh, want me to tell you? No, 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 no. Don't tell me, but just, is he around? Or yep. is his handiwork around? I should put it that way. Uh, Quite well, possibly. But we're not okay. going to give you any clues. Okay, because no. the post-credit sequence of the last picture, mm. sort of like, hmm, we walked out of the theater. Actually, I take it back when Ed, the people I'm going with tomorrow, Ed and, and, and Dawn and their kids. and Hi, Dawn, you're listening, I know. Um, <laughs> we didn't get to see the post-credit sequence because as we were standing in the aisle and sort of, you know, you walk down the aisle and watch as it's going. Oh no! A guy in front of us fell and hit his head and was bleeding out on the floor. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! It was like so he shut the movie down. It's like you gotta go. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Great. Then we'll just watch it on YouTube. It's fine. Okay, but you have seen it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a head. There's an extra head. You know. Yes. He just got three heads. That's how that works. And it can grow one back. It, yeah. That we was, don't want to, I don't want to give you too much. That was grotesque yeah. when he yeah. grew that head back in, in King of the Monsters. Let us know tomorrow when you're done in the chat and we, we can talk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely a few points in the movie where I went, aha, I understood that reference. <laughs> yes. So, okay. Yeah, we, we'll talk a lot about this next week, I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely, for sure. I have notes uh, already. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Let's take care of a little business first, and then we'll get to some lightning rounds. We have our uh, 500th podcast coming up, and we want to hear from you. We're going to remind you every time until this podcast comes about. But uh, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com, we would like very much for you to send us an MP3 or a wave file to that email and make it like me, like two, three minutes, closer to two. And just tell us what you like about the podcast. How did you find us? Like, what do you what do you enjoy about it? Um, ask us questions that we can answer for the 500th and stuff like that. We basically, we want to make the 500th podcast celebration about you all because you are a very big part of why we are still here 
after 500 shows plus and almost 10 years of being in this game. Yeah, it's been almost a decade. It'll be a decade in September of this year. So it's a big deal, you know? It's a large part of of who we are uh, at this point in our lives in in some ways. And Talking Comics has led to a lot of amazing things. We have have marriages because of Talking Comics, right, Steve? Please. Yeah. We have marriages. We have friends. We have people moving on to be creators themselves. It's uh, it's incredible. You know, it's a it's a really nice thing to be a part of. And, you know, we know that we dig it, but we would like to hear why you like it. So uh, podcast talking dot com wave or MP3, please. We will screen these and we will put them in the show. We'll answer your questions and we'll respond to your to your stuff. I can remember quite vividly. Uh, pardon me if I ramble tonight because, well, I'm feverish. <laughs> um, when we did our 100, which we did live. Oh, yeah. Uh, up, upstairs at Reese's 1900 Pub in Patchogue, I walked into the into the bar. And I'm sitting at the bar having a, a drink and actually having dinner because I'd come from work. And someone walks up behind me and taps me on the shoulder. Uh, um, are you Bob? Uh, last time I checked, yeah. <laughs> they had driven there from Baltimore. Oh yeah, to come to the one hundredth podcast, and we we played comic book Jeopardy, which Carolyn won, of course. Uh, congratulations, Carolyn! She won a couple of <laughs> uh, masterworks or whatever. But it was wow. It, it's until you have those sort of moments. I mean, I'm sure you've had them too, Steve. You're walking through a con, and all of a sudden, someone sees you, knows you. Oh, yeah. Wow. You don't really realize the impact we're having on folks beyond on ourselves, which has certainly been lovely, but that people are interested in what we have to say. And we're part of their lives in in some odd little way. And we're very appreciative and humbled. Yeah. 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 Every time that that we start talking about this stuff, I remember the day I found out that you could be voice famous (laughs) when uh, I was at Comic-Con and doing my cosplay thing for Joe Blow and Somebody just stopped in their tracks and was kind of hovering around me. And I was just like, what is mm-hmm. happening right now? Can I help you? And they just, are you Steve Say from the Talking Comics podcast? And I was like, yes, I am. And they're like, oh, my God. And it went from there. Uh, it was lovely. It was really it was really nice. And uh, it was that day that I knew that I had arrived. I don't know where I've gone <laughs> since then. Still doing fine. But, but at one point, I was there. One of my favorites is we had a local con here and Kristen Gudsnuck was going to be there. And I, because of doing, we used to do the covers of the week and I Mm -hmm. picked Hench Girl number one as my cover of the week. It was just a wonderful cover. And she was going to be at this local con and I I went to have my book signed and buy some other stuff. And, and when I identify myself, you know, she's, she was thanking me. You guys, you, you talk about my book all the time, and people are buying it because you guys are talking about it. And while I was there, someone was someone walked up. You know, I heard about this book on. <laughs> it's like wow, and so Natalie, uh, it, that's a lot of fun to be part of the, the rise of someone. It's all on, on her talent, obviously, but now she's mm-hmm. a friend of the podcast on top of everything else, and just an amazing person on top of everything else. But it's sort of like wow. You ever met this local con at a at a the, I think it was the Cradle of Aviation Museum. You could actually look at the lunar module and airplanes and just around all these comic creators. Actually, I, I <laughs> met um, 
uh, Joe Kelly there, I Kill Giants. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And picked up a book and, and he, he inscribed it to someone who was going through a tough time and, you know, did the whole, we are stronger than we think we are. Yep. And I gave it yep. and she bawled. <laughs> <laughs> I have my uh, oversized image book of that signed mm-hmm. by him as well. The Titan Edition, and, the big guy? Yeah. Yeah. I have uh I now have a a manga, a Japanese manga version of I Kill Giants. Wow. It was a gift from Greg, who's a, a friend uh well, my friend too, but like a friend of the show. And so that was an amazing gift that he sent uh out here. And yeah, the last time I saw Joe, I can't remember what con it was. It was definitely in New York, but I finally I got to show him my I Kill Giants tattoo That's on the true, back yeah. of my leg. And he was just stunned. You know, like I'm sure that they've they've obviously they've seen uh, tattoos of I Kill Giants in the past, but just like this is like what my whole the whole back of my leg. It is very impressive, and I love it. It's my favorite one that I have, uh, second favorite, I should say. But uh, all right, enough stories. We will we will have plenty of stories, I'm sure, for so we, when the 500 comes yeah. around. You'll never That's shut me in. Up. <laughs> it's in June on Joey's, already, on Joey's birthday. Yeah, 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 we're already in April. It's it's coming up. So so don't sleep on those messages. If you want to be a part of that stuff, then uh, – or just send us an email, podcast.talkingcomicbooks.com. Let us know what is up. All right. Let's do some lightning rounds. Um, me. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to mix it. I'm going to try to make things different tonight because we've already done this. <laughs> yes. Uh, but what I didn't do, but I'm going to do now is tell you all why you need to go out and you need to buy Shadecraft number one. Ooh. Oh, yes. Now, we all know that I was excited for this. We all know that I'm a total mark for this creative team. And we've had Joe Henderson and Lee Garbett on the show. Go back in the podcast and check it out. But so Shadecraft number one, written by Joe Henderson, art by Lee Garbett, colors by Antonio Fabella, letters by Simon Bolin, and edits by Rick Lopez Jr. It's the Skyward team. (laughs) Oh, my God. Speaking of Skyward, I went to the comic book store the other day. And lo and behold, there was the oversized hardcover of Skyward with the extra like epilogue issue that they've made specifically for that collection in the back. I have not read it yet, but I want to go through the entire thing and then read that. It is so gorgeous. The presentation of those types of books that they print are so amazing. I'm so mad at myself for not getting in on the excellence hardcover that was going around on Kickstarter. It might still be going on, but I doubt it. I will find a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> anyway, speaking of finding a way, let's find our way to this book. Shadecraft number one is about a girl named Zadie. And she is adjusting to life as a teenager after her brother's big accident. Her brother is like big man on campus at their high school. And something happened to him. He is now bedridden in the house. The mother has to care for him. It is a very stressful situation. I do not know for sure, but I'm getting the impression that Zadie is somehow at least partially responsible 
for his accident and and how he ended up uh, being the way that that he is uh, for the time being. But the story begins and Zadie and her friend Josh are walking home and he's, you know, making sure that she's okay and everything. She's been through a rough time and, and whatnot. And so they have a little bit of an awkward moment with one another. And as Zadie is walking home, she noticed that her, the shadows around her are kind of like warping and morphing and changing. And she's like, what the hell? And every time that she notices it, she turns around and of course everything's fine until it is completely not fine. Uh, at some point yeah, in her, she gets right up to her house and right before she's in the driveway. And there is just this geyser of shadow, this eruption of all of this darkness and evil and, and wispy tendrils of, of ghostly darkness and Oh God. And she gets attacked and this thing is actually doing physical damage to her. It's putting holes in her jacket. It is full on attacking her. Her mother hears her screaming outside. She snaps the light on thing disappears. Zadie, you know, tries to calm down before her mom catches wind and she goes to school the next day, totally freaked out, starts telling people about it. Does not go well for her because people are, even her friends are thinking that maybe this is her kind of losing her grip a little bit because of everything that she's been through in the last little while with regard to her brother. And so she's not being believed per se that shadows are coming to life and attacking her. And so she decides that she needs to work it out on her own for the time being, and things just get worse from there. This book is so unbelievably gorgeous. Lee Garbett is doing some absolutely incredible, incredible work, and so is Antonio Fabella and Simon Boland. The art team on this is stupendous. There's a lot of... uh, like early art pages and and the the process of making the book in the back. And you can see everybody kind of layering their contributions onto the page. And it is just gorgeous and evocative and terrifying. And like Lee uses this smeary, almost watercolory ink spatter look for the shadows. And it is so it's so creepy and I love it so much. And there's, I don't want to give too much away because this is only the first issue, but there's also a very, very strong emotional core to this story. It's not all just about shadows and people being attacked. There is a big emotional element at the core of the story. You find something out at the end of the book that really just kind of ties everything together and you get to that last page. And I just went, damn, like, is it the end of April yet? Because I need to read issue number two. Uh, it's outstanding. So Shadecraft number one, Siri, go and go and get it. Go read it. I bought it twice. I liked it so much. So <laughs> I got the variant cover physical and then I bought it digitally as well. And then I'll buy the big hardcover when it eventually comes out. Next on my list is Teen Titans Academy number one, written by Tim Sheridan, pencils by Rafa Sandoval, inks by Jordi Tarragona, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Rob Lay. So you have DC heroes. They're like 30-somethings, late 20s, Ms. Starfire, Mr. Nightwing. (laughs) Anyway, you get it. 
Um, <laughs> there's Beast Boy. He's feeling very much out of his depth about teaching these young people, these, these young would-be heroes to come into their own, show them the way, the whole bit. Uh, I said this last time. I'll say it again. I really like how this book is about creating heroes that are going to be out there doing the everyday stuff. They're not training people to participate in a crisis. They, they, they want them to be able to cut their teeth on other, other stuff, teach them to be good people before they're world saving heroes. And I think that's very cool. There is also a character in this book. I don't know who they are, but I already love them. Because at one point they're basically they're a they 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 look like a rag doll in a hoodie, right? And was it Gail so Simone's this character, what's that? Gail Simone's rag doll from her Suicide Squad Secret Six eras stuff. It it feels like a um uh, like a, a child of that or an offspring of that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And so one of the characters says to them at some time at some point in the book. Are you like some kind of magically androgynous ragdoll? To which they reply, the proper term, Matt, is non-binary effigy, <laughs> though I prefer genderqueer quilted American. Nice. Okay? This book is funny. On top of being fun and being interesting, it's funny. It is very much, in my mind, at least from the first issue, it is DC's answer to Strange Academy over at Marvel, which, as you know, if you listen to the show, has also been just absolutely incredible and totally worth your time, but it's cool. It's kids being kids. It's awkward roommate pairings. There is this uh, other angle happening with Nightwing. You'll find out something from his past is coming back to haunt him. And we don't know what we're going to do about it. That whole bit. Uh, It's fun. It's exciting. The art is really kind of jovial and light. It's not dark. It's not house DC. It's uh, it's fun. It's fun. I like it. And last but not least, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Cowabunga, (laughs) written by Ryan Parrott, illustrated by Simone DeMeo with assistance by Alessio Zano, colors by Walter uh, Biamonte with assistance by Igor Monti, letters by Ed Dukeshire. I have no notes for this, just like last time. (laughs) All I need to tell you, it's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers meets Teenage... Well... Teams up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This book for me had everything that I wanted from a crossover like this. This book was magical. Not only did it look amazing, I mean, Simone DeMeo has been quickly becoming a podcast favorite or at least a favorite of mine. And it's so much fun. Every time that I thought this, they should do this. Because that would be awesome to see the two of them, you know, do this together. And I swear on the last page of each issue, they make that dream come true. I was constantly, consistently stunned by like, I just thought that five minutes ago. And then here it is. They're doing it. It is a really good time. It's the first time that I've cared about the Power Rangers as people. Uh, When I used to watch the show... I was kind of in it for the the kaiju elements and the mixture of the the Japanese footage from the show mixed with the Americanized stuff and Bulk and Skull and the dumb music that would follow them around all the time. (laughs) That was always a good time for me. If you ever listen to that music by itself, it is so unbelievably terrible. It's all out of tune. Tune, excuse me. And um, 
But yeah, it's it's giant. You know, it's the Megazord versus whatever. It it is outrageous. I absolutely love it. And we bought a couple of other Power Rangers related things that we're going to read. I know John, you were telling me to read uh, Power Rangers Pink. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, so yeah. we've got that. We have the Justice League one, and I believe one of the core series as well. Yeah. They, they, I mean, I, I've been loving, I, I brought it to the table a few weeks ago. I, I've really gotten into the boom Power Rangers, but Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant, Turtle, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it, it is everything you want it to be. Um, and it's not hokey. It's not campy. It, it's, it, it's not serious, but it's done in a, in a, it, it's a tone that isn't uh, demeaning to either franchise and fans of either one. Yeah, will be, will be have a smile on their face when they're done with it. Um, it's it beautiful. definitely caters to both. Yes, yeah. It, obviously, Parrot's a fan of both. I've, I've, I, like I, I've said before, I was never a teenage or never a um, Power Rangers fan of, of the show. It never, uh, it, it only appealed to me at a certain time of day, um, uh, around four twenty ish. But I love what they're doing at Boom. <laughs> Uh, parrots really got it going. They, they're given depth to the characters. And I think you picked a good one to start your journey. Is, is parrot doing the current stuff? Yeah, he does the mighty Morphin and the power Rangers. He jumped on about two years ago, I think right around the shattered grid, which was their big crossover event. Okay. Uh, When they, they, they branched out and they did go, go power Rangers and mighty Morphin power Rangers. And it brought in characters from all all the different iterations over the years. You you would need like a, a Wikipedia uh, index to figure out who's who, but it doesn't matter because the story was really well done and the art. That's where Simone De Mayo was on the book, the main book, and that's right. where I first got a glimpse of him. And, and yeah, he's one of my favorites too. I think he's a, a star in the making. Yeah, I. Uh... I never really explored them beyond the the television show. I just, I never connected with them. I just was in it for the big fun and the kind of the, the cheesiness of it because I love, like, I love terrible movies. If yeah. you tell me that a movie is shit, I just want to watch it more. So <laughs> it's a, it's a good time. I highly recommend it. And I, I'm really looking forward to reading more. Every time that I see those covers, for that new series that's coming out they're they're really stylish and really uh eye-catching oh, yeah. i might have yeah. to dive in at some point would it's it really com- accessible too would it mm-hmm. be a complete downer to say i've never watched an episode of power rangers no no okay. no it's not- no I, I mean i i barely caught them when they were on it was i mean it was it was on i mean i was in i was a freshman in college when it premiered and so i wasn't really into it uh i i don't think you would be you would not be their target audience, Bob. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I go back to Ultraman and Godzilla. I'm, I'm that yep. era of the Japanese stuff. All right. Uh, that is me, unless anybody has... Thanks. <laughs> uh, nobody has any questions for me, right? We've already talked about Power Rangers. You all know how good Shadecraft is. And Teen Titans Academy number one. It's good. Read it. Yeah. Okay. Bob. Okay. 
Shazadam. <laughs> there you go. Look, I still, if we're talking about last week, I still only bought one comic, so here goes. Miskatonic number five by Mark Sable, Giorgio Pontrelli, Pippa Boland, and Dave Sharp wraps up this entertaining miniseries with a nice, horrific flourish as Agent Miranda Keller and ex-NYPD officer Tom Malone close out their investigation to New England's cult activity, but it comes with a great cost laid out in a very typically Lovecraftian ending in italics final sequence. The main references to HPL's work make for nice surprises as we moved along, but there are deeper issues addressed as well, and the back matter in this issue makes very, very clear. It's just uh, make sure you have everything in line. It'll make a great read as a collection from Aftershock. Now, as long as I was visiting Witch Haunted Arkham, as HPL used to talk about, I dug out Journey into Mysteries number three to five from 1973, where writer Ron Goulart faithfully adapted the Lovecraft Robert Block trilogy of 1935 Shambler from the Stars, 1936's Haunter of the Dark, and 1950's Shadow from the Steeple, with appropriately creepy art by Jim Starlin, Gene Colan, and Rich Buckler, respectively. Inks by the incredible Tom Palmer on the first two chapters, by the way. In Shambler, a young writer seeks out an older man well-versed in the occult for help deciphering that ancient tome, The Vermis Mysterious. This ends rather badly for the old gentleman who is ripped apart by some giant tentacle monstrosity, just as things don't go well for that same writer, now named Robert Blake, in HPL's Haunter of the Dark, or his friend Edmund Fisk in Block's final chapter, Shadow from the Steeple. Now, some hopefully interesting history of these stories... Robert Block, who would later become world famous for writing Psycho, he'd become a correspondent with Lovecraft to encourage the teenager's writing, championing his work for inclusion in Weird Tales, which was the leading horror pulp magazine of the day. To say thanks, Mr. Block wanted to use and dispose of an unnamed but obviously Lovecraft character in Shambler, to which HBO gleefully said yes, with a missive signed and sealed by various Lovecraftian entities, characters, so on and so forth, agreeing to his cosmic demise. Lovecraft returned the favor by offing Blake and Haunter the next year, and then we, we go eventually to Shadow. One other side note, I was fortunate enough to meet and converse with Robert Block at a long-ago icon here on Long Island, and I have a copy of his The Opener of the Way collection, which has his early works in, including yours truly, Jack the Ripper, for instance. And in this, he inscribed from one bob to another. Um, <laughs> now, I... I, I Stephen King has stolen this, but it comes from Robert Block. They asked him once, how you, you managed to juggle humor and horror and all these things together? And he said, well, I have the heart of an eight-year-old boy, and I keep it in a jar on my desk. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the kind of person he was. Actually, I'll expand on this story. We we caught up with him at a, at a talk he was giving, and we my friends and I had tons of Block books to be signed. And he said, guys, I, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just a zoo here today. I just flew in from the coast, and boy, my I'm sorry. That's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> anyway, if you come back later, i got to go to this Meet the Pros dinner, and I've got no one to sit with. Why don't you guys come with me? So we, we went over there and waited and waited and waited, and he didn't show up. And my Aww. friend Frank went the next day with some extra books to have signed. And Mr. Block said, I am so sorry. I just fell asleep. I didn't make that dinner either. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, okay. 
Um, and another quick side note, which I did mention the last time we did this, I did finish Lovecraft Country, which I thought was an amazing piece of television. But it's a bait and switch. There ain't a whole lot of Lovecraft in it. <laughs> you get some shoggas, and that's about it. And he gets mentioned the first two episodes. It is still worth watching. It is wonderfully political. It is historical, beautifully acted, written. It's horrific. Don't go into it thinking you're going to see the Necronomicon and the Dunwich Horror or whatever not happening. That's it. <laughs> I'm done. I wonder why that show still hasn't been picked up for a second season. And I'm shocked that that's the case. Uh, so, you have, have you finished it? No, I have not. I, 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 I won't say anything. Okay. There might be I'm, a reason why there's not a second season. Oh. Ooh. I've only watched, I think I've just started. I have to, I have to get through that too. It's wonderful. It is absolutely yeah. wonderful, but it is, there's more Lovecraft in John Carpenter's The Fog than there is in Lovecraft Country. Oh, The Fog is good. That's a good movie. And the remake is one of the worst remakes of all time. <laughs> wasn't um wasn't Jared Padalecki in that too? Yes, and Tom or was Wel- that just Tom, the f- and Tom Welling? Yeah. Oh, so maybe maybe I'm getting the two of them oh, confused. Oh, Weird. early two thousands horror remakes. Yeah, yeah, lots of House of Wax, for instance. Yeah, with, with our our pal Paris Hilton. Is Chad, <laughs> is Chad Michael Murray available? No, get Jared Padalecki. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about uh, In the Mouth of Madness? Uh, that is one of my favorite Carpenter movies. Yeah. It is the most Lovecraftian thing you can imagine that never mentions Lovecraft at all. I don't Do know you that read he, Sutter King. I don't know that he <laughs> want that that Carpenter wanted to do Lovecraft and then just couldn't get didn't think he could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Some things were in public domain, others weren't at that point. We're going back a long way, but boy, what a great film that is. Great score God. too. That movie is so endlessly quotable. Yeah. I say things from it all the time. You want some too, buddy? <laughs> Sorry about the balls. <laughs> Sam Neill is so great in that movie. Have I ever told you that my favorite color is blue? <laughs> I love that movie so much. Uh, the person on the bike, yeah. the crab walking out of the car. Uh. The, old la- the old lady... Axing her husband at the yeah. hotel, at the Dickman Hotel. That old lady's in everything. I think she was Happy Gilmore's grandmother in okay. that movie. <laughs> I think she's in she's in a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, if we're, if we're in the running, mouth of Matt, we're running down this whole thing. A lot. Why not? There are only three of us here today, so let's have some fun. Um, mm-hmm. Stuart Gordon, who made Reanimator, which. Mm-hmm. When Lovecraft wrote those in the 20s for a humor magazine called Homebrew, they were meant to be the most gruesome, awful, funny things he could write. So the movie, even though some of it is not anything Lovecraft would have written, it really gets to that over-the-top gore and have some fun with it. But Stuart Gordon, what he wanted to make next was Shadow Over Innsmouth, which is one of Lovecraft's greatest stories. And the studio wanted something different, so they did From Beyond instead, which the Lovecraft story takes up the first five minutes of the movie, and then they go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But Gordon went back and melded two Lovecraft stories together into a wonderful, creepy movie called Dagon, 
which has the shadow over Innsmouth and Dagon blended together. It's about a town who's had bad things happen and they pray to the wrong gods to fix things. Oh, no. Uh Yeah, it goes really, really badly. They reset it to Spain. They shot it in Spain. It is the movie that has the most Lovecraft mood to it of anything that's ever been made. It's called Dagon? Dagon. D-A-G-O-N. Remember from our radio play, The Esoteric Esoteric Order of Dagon? It is right in that movie. It's the whole thing. Oh. check Check out Dagon. You should also check out the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society has made two adaptations of early Lovecraft stories set as if they were made when the books were new. So they did the Call of Cthulhu from 1926 as a silent movie. Hmm. With a a stop motion Cthulhu at the end of it, no less, because Willis O'Brien was working at that point. The original Lost World is 1925. And then they also did The Whisperer in Darkness and set as a universal horror movie in 1931. I'm surprised that some movie studio hasn't tapped the Lovecraft stories for, you know, some kind of movie universe thing yet. That's a great point. Yes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Like why, like what's stopping you, especially with all the technology that we have, you could make some ridiculously cool looking creatures. Look at what they did with that first episode of Lovecraft Country. Yes. You know, stuff like that. I don't know. I'm, I, I love the creatures. I love the, the the descriptions of the nightmares and the terrors that are in those stories. That's what draws me to it. Uh, we talked about this last time, but I got the complete works of Lovecraft when uh, I picked up Miskatonic number one. And by the way, but it is Call of Cthulhu that is, that is what I started to read. That's a good one. Or yeah. read the first couple of passages and was like, okay. Just hold, <laughs> hold out your dictionary, keep it there, and eventually you'll get to see Eldritch, Gibbous, all these crazy words he uses from the 18th century, and you'll be fine. All right. Did you he's, get got this- such, he's got such a great style, even for his time. It, it just, yeah. his flow is, it, it was... Nothing like was going. No, no one else was writing like that at that time. Uh, no. I, I, I haven't read it for years, but yeah. I I first got started um, paperbacks in the grocery store. Yeah, and it was sixty nine seventy the Signet paperbacks, and then I had a teacher who I've discussed, Mister Sullivan, who decided to not do the work he was doing anymore because he had done it years and years and threw his books out the window of the second floor. <laughs> Oof. That's and my dream. Came back on. Came back on <laughs> yeah. Came, well, uh, he just said, "You guys are better than this." And Monday we'll do something different. So Monday we had a new reading list, and it was all sorts of science fiction. It was Huxley and Orwell and Lovecraft oh, and nice. Owen, whatever. We wrote every single day. We all had to write something. So Mr. Sullivan is responsible for what I do here at, at, at no uncertain terms. And Lovecraft was was part of that. And it was, wow, okay, we're teaching this in school? Great. I'm I'm good to go. I already had the book. So, Uh, Steve, did you get to see the Nicolas Cage color out of space? That is still, that is on our list. We we own it. We have it. It is downstairs. We just haven't gotten to it yet. (laughs) We watched Lily's Wonderland. That was our, Bronwyn can only handle so much of the rage of the cage. So I have to... uh, I have to play my cards well. Gotcha. And so I can't bust out another Nicolas Cage movie for like probably at least three more weeks. And then I can be like, okay. hey, see, but that, why don't we, uh, that was about that color out of space. That one builds. 
Okay, Richard Stanley, mm-hmm. who directed, was big in the 70s, and uh, things happened. It is really, uh, it's one of Lovecraft's most famous stories, and really creepy. It's about a meteor that crashes on a farm, and bad things start to happen. I'll leave it at I that. Like it. And I like it. I like it. Two-thirds of this movie is, it's updated, but really lovely. It's done well, and Nicholas is acting the way he would have done in the late 80s, early 90s. There was a cross between the indie and the popular guy. <laughs> and then, then he goes nuts. <laughs> the yes. rage of the cage, as you describe it, is there. And it's, Mr. Stanley, couldn't you have reined that in a little bit? Because it kind of, I love it, makes the movie go goofy. I love him so much. They, they made Millie's Wonderland for nothing. Like, I, I, I don't, I'll maybe I'll look it up, but the budget for that movie was peanuts. And I just, I think about the set design and the costume design and the animatronics in the things that come to life, the Chuck E. Cheese things that come to life in the movie. That's that had to have been where all the money went, which (laughs) tells me that he did that movie for a song. And I just love that somebody came to him and said, you got it. You got to read this script. You got to do check this out. And he read it and said, you know what? I don't care. Let me just play this part because this sounds amazing, and it is. Well, I he's got to pay movie. all those taxes, man. Yeah, yeah, he, he owes <laughs> lots of money. Did he, he sold off he a bunch of his castle? Right? Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> yeah. um, I think at a certain level, he's back to being kind of the indie guy. Yeah, his, his career is for, his career path is an interesting. He's thing. like a. <laughs> He's like a like a, an actor that's a Pokemon, and when somebody needs him to battle in their movie, they're just I choose you, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> he pops out and he does the movie, and then he goes back in the ball at the end. Well, I mean, he, he won the Academy Award. Leaving then Las he Vegas went and did. Awesome. Then he went. Yeah, it was great. And then he went and did The Rock and that's Con Air and and Gone in sixty seconds, and then he just kind of disappeared, and now he shows up and. Every B movie maybe being made yeah. right now. Yeah. And he, so he had that quick moment where he was going to be the next Tom Hanks kind of thing. Yeah. And oh, was, yeah. Uh, like, uh, uh, what was it? Um, it could happen to you. Yeah. With Bridget and then the one, Yeah. And then he was, he's the Secret Service agent with, uh, uh, God, uh, what's her name? Uh, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, that yep. one. I, right. Yep. Yeah. And then it fo- <laughs> followed off of, I guess, the, the back-to-back of, we're doing a whole Nicolas Cage podcast, but why not? Um, H.P. Lovecraft and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Well, they are related. Peggy Sue got married and Moonstruck. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Raising Arizona. He's great. Oh, yeah. that is so good. He's got this movie I want to see called Primal. Check this out. Frank's caught wildlife in the Brazilian jungle, including a 400-pound white jaguar. He ships it on the same ship as an arrested assassin. The assassin breaks free and frees the animals. Nicholas Cage, I choose you. Go! <laughs> I gotta see that. What primal? Uh, primal? primal. Primal. Nicholas Cage and a four hundred pound white jaguar on a boat. Come on! Yeah, I'm there. There's gonna Come be a, on. There's going to be a point in our future where a Nicolas Cage movie is on at any point during the day. Bring it on. I'm there for it. <laughs> Do you ever see Vampire's Kiss where he eats a real cockroach? 
No, <laughs> no. I've seen screenshots. Like I've seen video clips like that. It was really early on in his career. Yes, there's a very popular meme that uh, was taken yeah. from that movie for sure. I have a. Uh, he's a friend who was also my dentist for years. He's actually in that movie in the club scene. <laughs> wow, like, uh, Bob. Here, I'll, I'll do you one solid before we move on okay. from Nicholas Cage talk. Famke Jensen is in Primal. Well, there you go. There's an extra reason to go and watch it. Big Famke Jansen fan. Now, have you ever seen, I know I recommended it to you, we're going so all over the place. But I'll Is this Tamara Drew? No, well, Tamara Drew you should watch anyway, but Famke Jansen directed bring, oh, Bringing yes. Up Bobby that stars Mia Jovovich. I have seen that a it's long a time movie. ago. Great little personal drama hmm. with all sorts of comic book folks in it. I didn't realize that uh, that was what that was. Yeah. I saw that a while ago. Yeah, it goes back a long time. Hmm. Now, did All you, right. Did you ever see Famke in 100 Feet? No. Ooh, really scary ghost story. I like that. There's a couple of those coming out. All right, we're going we're gonna to keep talking about movies. We need to go back to comics. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we move on, though, uh, John, do you have any comments or questions for Bob's books? No, 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 that was a, that was a deep rabbit hole there. All right, all right. Uh, Aaron, no, Aaron's not here. John, <laughs> Aaron, would you like to do your your lightning round again? <laughs> all right, John, go ahead. All right. Well, I seem to do this every month where I, I just kind of lump all of my my ex books together, and so I'm going to start with Wolverine number ten, uh, writer writer Benjamin Percy. Art, Adam Kubert, uh, colors, Frank Martin, and letters, VCs, Corey Pettit. So you got Wolverine and his uh, former Team X uh, teammate, Maverick, together again, neck deep in trouble in Madripoor. Uh, they're at the supervillain auction of, of memorabilia, and they get into it with just about every low-life organization you can think of in the world. And this book is just really fun. It's got political and espionage intrigue. Uh, Wolverine seems to be in the center of, of not just government actions, but also some horror angles. And I'm just really, really enjoying this book. Uh, next, I go to Hellions number 10, writer Zeb Wells, art Steven Segovia, art uh, colors David Carell, and letters VCs Ariana Maurer. Mr. Sinister is without a doubt the worst team leader in X history. <laughs> He once again has the Hellions captured, this time by Arcade, who has taken a very homicidal turn, confirmed. Uh, it's twisted, it's, it's violent, it's got a possible Havoc and robot sex tape on the horizon. Um, it, it's bonkers. This book is crazy, and I love every minute of it. This book has gone... Is, the top one, one, like top two of my favorite X books right now, and it's joined by X Force number eighteen, which is written by Benjamin Percy, uh, art by Gary Brown, uh, colors Guru EFX and VCs Joe Caramunga on letters. Something is stalking the shores of Krakoa, and all avenues lead to Quentin Quire being the cause, but he can't remember. This book is full of body horror resurrection ramifications it's general creepiness and there there are some twists and turns in this book i will say and i'm not nothing against gary 
Gary Brown, but this book really missed uh, Josh Casera on it. Uh, his artwork has really defined X-Force and the creep factor is elevated whenever he's doing the artwork. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jump to cable number nine, writer Gary Dugan, art Phil Noto, letters VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, Cable's still on the hunt for his doppelganger, Strife, uh, and the missing mutant babies. But this book begins with almost a a James Bondian um, uh, cable and Esme uh, of the Cuckoos uh, infiltrating an AIM uh, submarine disabling uh, said submarine, ejecting themselves out of a torpedo tube and popping up right by a yacht with uh, Emma Frost waiting for them with a bottle of champagne. It was it was just an enjoyable beginning. And then you get a tour of Cable's world as he calls in favors from every X-Men, leading to one uh, overarching question. Is he the right Cable for this job? And this book has the worst torture scene I've ever seen. A century of the proclaimers, I could walk 500 miles on a loop played on the recorder by a group of demons. That sounds awful. That'll do it. I'll tell them anything I want, anything they want to hear. (laughs) Uh, And then finishing up with the mutant corner here, Excalibur number 19, uh, writer Teeny Howard, art Marcus Toe, colors Eric Arsenija, uh, letters VCs are Ariana Maurer. Uh, so Betsy, uh, aka the current Captain Britain's soul, is still lost. It falls to Psylocke to knit her worst enemy and closest confidant back together. Anybody who knows the history of Psylocke and Betsy going back to the Claremont Jim Lee 256 to 258 um, uh, story arc, uh, th- this th- that connection is, is very prevalent here. Uh, Opal Luna Saturnine still sucks. The Captain- nope. Oh, I yep. love her. Come on. She is awful. Her, yeah, I'm not her- saying she isn't awful, but she's a great character. Oh, she's a great she's character. Best. Don't get me wrong, but her bitterness toward uh, Betsy is going to cost Otherworld because she is casting out the Captain Britain corpse, who may be the greatest corpse in all of comics. And I, I, I'll stand by that statement, Green Lanterns. Um, <laughs> no, this book... This book I know people were, were slow on it to begin with, and then it became very important during X's Swords. I know that it's been um, not it's it's been a slow burn again ever since X's Swords. But I I really trust Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe's artwork is is fantastic, and this this team is really coming together to be a family. And that's one thing about the X Men is that they are a superhero team, but they're also a family. And sometimes that that gets lost in the other X books, but I really think that they're finding that in Excalibur. So I'll, I'm going to stick this one out where other people might uh, be a little uh, lackluster on it. <laughs> Are you talking about me? I, 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 hey, if you feel I'm like I'm accusing you of something, maybe that's on you. Um, <laughs> he thinks he's slick. <laughs> I know. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, jumping out of Marvel to DC, uh, Batman Superman number 16 uh, dropped this past week. Writer Gene Lun Yang, pencils uh, Ivan Reese, uh, inks Danny Mickey, colors Sabine Rich, and letters uh, Seda Temafonte. I love this book. This is exactly what I wanted from Infinite Frontier. 
you got classic golden age goodness with some modern sensibilities. You got Superman in his in his historic first appearance costume, uh, but it's not set in the 1930s because you have modern technology. But the book is set up with it. It almost feels like dueling Saturday morning uh, Saturday matinees. So on the top of the book, you got Superman's story, and at the bottom of the book, you have Batman stories. Uh, Superman is dealing with criminals crossing over between Metropolis and Gotham. Lois Clark and Jimmy are on the case doing some investigative reporting. And the mystery takes them to Wayne Manor, home of Martha, her lover, Alfred, and her son, Bruce. (laughs) Wait, lover, Alfred? (laughs) Alfred, because in this world, only Thomas Wayne was killed. Oh, mm. apparently, Alfred. Woof. And, and apparently, only losing half of his parents didn't inspire Bruce as much. Um, maybe he's just a mama's boy. Um, oh, <laughs> anyway, uh, in the Batman section on the bottom of the page, you got uh, an Arkham breakout orchestrated by the Queen of the Metropolis Underworld. Uh, the she's breaking the villains out because something is being done to them in Arkham which points to some, maybe some really creepy things going on at the asylum. And how the two books eventually connect, or the two stories eventually connect, was really unique with the artwork. Uh, Gene Luen Yang is is just a treasure. Uh, I, I love that he's writing Superman again. Uh, I, I kind of dropped off the, the Superman books when Bendis left, but Yang really has Clark's voice and... With the beautiful artwork, I can't wait to see where this uh, this book goes in the near future. And I hope this team stays together uh, for a very long time. And I'm done. Yeah, that uh, that Batman Superman book is pretty special. It was. It, it, yes. It was just the layout and the writing. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a very special book. It was old school yet new at the yeah. same time. I think Bob, you would really like it. I will check into that. I have a question. Of course, is the physical and digital the same? In terms yes, of you can read it easily. Okay. Yeah, it's not like I, I think last time we talked, you were asking about the Silver Surfer number eleven. Yeah, we're yeah it switched halfway through the issue and I read it backwards and upside down, and Joey couldn't. No, couldn't. This get is it this. Yeah, this book's just split uh, top half, bottom half. So okay. the pages are laid out pretty pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Look at us pretending like we didn't already have this conversation. <laughs> we just know each other so well, we're finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> See, we've got our act together, people. It's a technology that didn't like us. Yes. <laughs> That's what happened. Uh, so I got a question. We'll get back to the comics in a minute, but I got I got a question for the floor here. Who do you think was the first jerk to make recorders the default instrument for all of schooling? My second music teacher. I don't know Seriously. who, but I dread the day that my child comes home with that recorder because I, I don't know if I can. I'm going to go John Belushi in Animal House with the guitar <laughs> on it at some I'm point. I'm picturing. In time. Like whoever wrote the bylaws or whoever wrote that into the universal school contract, I'm just going to pretend that's a real thing, <laughs> but like they had been fired, but they, they stayed like that extra hour to pack up their stuff after work. And right before they left, they were like, you know what? 
fire me, will you? And they went back into the documents and put that in there. And then they just put it through and got to it. They're like the following day. And we're like, that son of a bitch. It would be, it's law now. Yeah. It would be I don't much know better that. if they did kazoos. Cause you can at least kind of old play a kazoo. There isn't, don't really know You just kind of hum into it, you know? Oh boy. Oh God, the recorder. That I remember how much trouble I would get in if I didn't bring my recorder to school. And they're like, why don't you have it again? It's because it sucks. And it had that plastic sleeve that you had to put it in and you had to like bury it in your backpack. It's it, such a sad uh, instrument. It doesn't even make a nice sound. It, no. It's a flute. Like it should do something. <laughs> It is just it, it's is it the instrument or is it the legion of children trying to play it? Dude, I remember every time that I would puff on that thing, it would just it would make me embarrassed. Yeah. It was not a it was not a good instrument. It's not a good instrument. No. Quarters of the worst. Terrible. Uh the other thing that I want to point out, you're talking about the art in uh X-Force. I do want to say that I appreciate comic book artists and their ability to strategically place bubbles over genitalia when it's not that kind of book. Because <laughs> there are a couple of clones in tubes in this book, and all of them have like the rushing uh, bubbles from the bottom of the tank strategically covering their junk pieces. Yep. And uh, I just, it gave me pause and it made me smile. <laughs> You got You got. You can't show the 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 twig and berries there. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, going back to the the Batman Superman thing, Bob. It is very cool in that it is actual film reels that are lined so top no, bottom of the page split in half. Was that rockets and all? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, and uh, things get a little a uh, little crazy as you continue to read those film strips. Mm. It is. Very entertaining, very cool, and a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's a lot weird. There are some very things weird. that happen in that book that I was just like, yo, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't read anything like that in a long time. Certainly haven't read anything Superman in a while. And uh, sometimes those those DC books are expensive when they first start. I mean, Marvel does it too, to be fair. Yeah. To be fair. But um, <laughs> sorry, I watched too much Letter <laughs> Kenny. I, uh, I dig it. I dig it. I, I, I don't always go in for that sort of thing, but I, I'm finding myself drawn to this one quite a bit. Right. Yep. Yes. Yes. All right. That is the books, as far as I know. See, we did it. We did it. We're the best. Uh, Invincible episodes one through three. That wasn't this episode, was it? Did I leave this in here by accident? So. No, we did. We did talk about because Aaron read Invincible number oh, one. Jesus! Oh, I don't want to go through the whole Invincible no. thing again. Cut this. <laughs> Listen, here's my 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 short version. I really like it. I was really surprised by it. It gets very, very violent at one point, but then it kind of backs off of the violence a little bit, unless you count like alien shooty lasers severing people in half to be violent. I don't know. I It's got a lot more going on for it than you would think. And the voice cast is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And even though I've heard that there are some elements to the story that are going to be missing from the show that I'm very disappointed in, it does look like it's going to be a lot of fun, and I am totally curious to find out if another episode was posted today. Yeah, I have not was. watched. Episode, oh, okay, every Friday. Yeah, I need to watch 
Winter Soldier. I need to catch up on Mighty Ducks. And now I need to watch Invincible too. I got Winter Soldier. I, I have to watch Mighty Ducks. I got to get into back into... I haven't watched either episode. But <clears throat> Invincible, I think having Kirkman write it is, is really... I mean, that's a really good idea. And I, I like the, some of the subtle changes that they've made to it. But it, it's fun. It's a good, it's a good cartoon. Yes. But it, it does escalate quickly, and then it goes down, and then it escalates again. So just be prepared. Yeah, I just I think that that moment with like the ultra violence, if you will, that is the most extreme thing that I've seen in the show so far. And after that point, it kind of went back to being middle ground violence. So, you know, it's not just violence for violence sake. It's uh it's a pretty devastating scene. Anyway, you'll find out. Go and watch Invincible. It's on Amazon Prime. It's uh, pretty good. First three episodes available now. Pay four. us Amazon. There's four now. Oh, four now. Yeah. Sorry. It's all right. Time travel. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, here we go. All right. So that's that. Uh, moving right along. The Suicide Squad trailer. So since we recorded the last show, there's already been another trailer. There's a Red Band trailer. And then there's a trailer that's playing ahead of... Godzilla versus Kong in theaters, and you can watch it online. Both kind of showcase different elements of the film and the characters and their powers and stuff like that. And I will just reiterate from last time that this movie looks like so much fun to me, and I am ready to watch it. It looks funny. Characters look like they're on point and are behaving like the characters that we know and love. I'm really excited to see some new people in there. Uh, King Shark is voiced by Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) What? Like, I would rather have had Ron Funches, but if we can't have Ron Funches, let's have Sylvester Stallone do it because he's also wonderful. Anyway, uh, I'm really excited about it, and I want to know what Bob thinks. I love the trailer. King Shark, obviously great, but it's a Harley that seems like the Harley from Birds of Prey. And that makes mm-hmm. a big difference in the tone and mood of where we're going. Loved Birds of Prey, so I'm in for Suicide Squad this time around. All right. How about you, John? I was really looking forward to that Ayers cut, but <laughs> I think that... Oh! <laughs> no. Just twist the knife. <laughs> I, I mean, we've all been burned by a Suicide Squad trailer, but this one looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to actually deliver. Um, I love... I, I don't know why, but I just can't wait to see comedic Idris Elba because that just doesn't seem like his acting style, but he really seems to to just buy into the whole concept. And then, as I was saying earlier, uh, John Cena just has become one of my favorite uh, people. On, on, on I don't he just doesn't take himself seriously, and I can't wait to see his Peacemaker on uh, on the big screen. Uh, oh, wow, that was kind of an intent, but okay. Um, <laughs> no i i'm with you i think that this that's this, what he calls it yeah I, why not uh i think this movie's gonna be a lot of fun i trust james gunn the cast looks amazing i don't think most of this cast is gonna make it to the third act but, no. but this is the suicide squad and maybe they're not supposed to um but after watching the snyder cut and you know that was you know it was better than we all expected it to be I'm glad DC is going in this direction and not returning to that kind of vein. So bring it on. So you don't want to restore the Snyderverse? 
No, I don't. I think oh. I think this Snyderverse is its own little thing. You can go watch it and enjoy it. Uh, I'm I'm a little bitter because Snyderverse has apparently destroyed something that we're going to talk about later. Um, so I say go forward, do the do the different types of movies. You know, Black Adam's coming up. You got Suicide Squad, uh, Aquaman two down the line. Let's just let's go with a, a different direction for DC. Yeah, for sure. So we might as well stay on this really quick and then we'll double back to the Marvel news. But yeah, so it looks like, at least in part, that the Snyder Cut, specifically Darkseid appearing in the Snyder Cut and uh, establishing that character has kind of bucked Ava DuVernay and Tom King's new gods out of the loop. And so Warner Brothers and DC Films on April Fool's Day. Terrible timing. Yeah, this was a really, this would have been a good story for, for Friday, not uh, Thursday, April Fool's Day. But Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's Aquaman spinoff, The Trench, are both being shelved uh, indefinitely at DC Films. So their quote says, this is coming from The Hollywood Reporter. As part of our DC slate, some legacy development titles, including New Gods and The Trench, will not be moving forward. We thank our partners, Ava DuVernay, Tom King, James Wan, and Peter uh, Safran for their time and collaboration during this process and look forward to our continued partnership with them on other DC stories. The projects will remain in the skillful hands uh, if they were to move forward in the future. So if they go back to these ideas, they would go back to DuVernay and Wan and they would go forward with their stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, Ava DuVernay responded. Uh, she included Tom King, you know, saying all the things that you say when you're let go from a project. It was such a great time, you know, loved working with you, all of that jazz. I'm trying to find the uh, Snyder Cut stuff here, but I'm not finding the quote. Maybe that's something that came up in an update. Well, there was something anyway, about the dark side was such a big part of the new God script that they wanted to put more time between the Snyder cut and a new gods movie. Right. Right. Um, yeah, they don't go ahead, John. No, I'm just saying they're, they're already trying to establish the multiverse. Why not just go forward with it? You can have well, that, Snyder's yeah. dark side and you can have DuVernay's dark side. Well, didn't they say that nothing in the Snyder cut is Canon for the DCEU? Well, until they decide to make it Canon for the DCU, <laughs> which, which really does worry me that i i i mean i'm going off pure conjecture and just things that i've seen in in news that there's there might be factions at warner brothers who want to go back to the snyderverse at least for hbo max you know i can see where hbo max might want to commission more of that because i think it's done really well for them but i don't want it impacting the other direction dc's going in and it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Uh, and then I also worry about, I wonder, not worry, I wonder how much of this is financial because I know they're not bringing in a lot of money right now. And maybe they'll come back to it in a few years once we have theaters back open and so forth. Because it's going to be an ambitious movie to get it right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I mean, they were saying that another reason that uh, it was probably being scrapped is because of its length that there were larger plans 
in the mix that maybe they were going to make this a multi-movie thing and DC's not really about that right now. They want to, you know, they've got their slate of films coming up over the next, like into 2023. It ends with uh, Shazam 2. And we don't know much beyond that. But, but. You, you could have done this in the way that Kirby did it. You introduce Orion in his own book, and then you do Mr. Miracle off to the other side, and then you bring them together yeah. into the new the whole thing later. I mean, it could have been done in a very cool way. Well, I mean, maybe that's what they'll do. Maybe yeah. after this next round of movies, they will do something more in the Marvel vein of building toward some kind of new gods and or like justice league dark something with zatanna that coming out yeah or do this do this on max do a whole new gods multi-series thing on hbo max because you know they want material and it's a great concept it's one of kirby's greatest concepts well they got the i mean they got the platform for they got to do what disney's doing where they're They're producing things specifically for that platform to sell that platform. And that's what they need to do. That's why they moved Mortal Kombat because they don't want the people who paid for the Snyder Cut to get the Snyder Cut and Godzilla versus Kong. And then you also get Mortal Kombat within that window. No, you push it a week and you get that fresh subscription (laughs) fee. And then you make Mortal Kombat the movie that you signed on for or stayed on for. And then you plot ah, your next move after that. I see. The Snyder Cut definitely drove a lot of subscriptions, what I've been reading. Though yeah. Wonder Woman 84 had more viewers initially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the timing of Wonder Woman on Christmas, Christmas. was yeah. brilliant. I don't think that this, this, the Snyder Cut, the, the whole thing is as big as it sounds online. You know, I, I believe that is a very passionate subset of people. I think those, yeah, the Snyder Cut people are in their own echo chamber, just congratulating themselves. Yeah. And I don't, oh, a hundred percent. But I mean, in terms of like numbers and stuff. Oh yeah, no, and I, I think you know, most people I think were like us. We watched it, we enjoyed it, we can move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good time. Yeah, good time. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Let's uh, let's double back to this this Marvel story. Bob, do you want to uh, take the helm here? Sure. Marvel, in a move reminiscent of something they did twenty years ago, has pulled their sort of not exclusive exactly, but their distribution for comic books will now be through Penguin Random House, who will sell to Diamond at a at a certain level, and that. Marvel years ago bought the Heroes World distribution company, tried to start their own kiosk, their own stores, and they eventually went crawling back to Diamond. But now this is different with DC having already pulled out. Diamond is left with the indies, which is maybe 25, 30% of the industry. Now Penguin Random House is offering free shipping, a decent discount, and for Marvel standpoint, quite a bit more entry into the bookstore market where their trade, some of the, maybe the lesser ones will now have better flow in big bookstores. Um, Where this leads with comics is hard to tell. I have some stories to tell, but let's see what everyone else thinks. John, how about you? Well, I remember when I, 
I mean, I, I remember when they did this in the '90s, and it and it crashed and burned. Um, I think this is probably a better business move with with Marvel and getting into the bookstores with the trade paperback market at what it is today, and then doing more things aimed at young adults. Uh, I think it, it's probably a good move, and it's not bad that Diamond now has a little competition. Diamond's been a monopoly, and I think that they've taken advantage of that monopoly uh, in in some aspects. I don't know if the DC Lunar was the best model to go with, but I do, after talking to my LSC, uh, LCS, sorry, um, they seemed mildly optimistic for this because they're, you know, free shipping, uh, you know, kind of some good discounts and uh, Diamond's kind of hard to deal with. Diamond jacks up prices of shipping on the smallest of things. Uh, and so maybe this is, maybe this will get Diamond out of the, uh, some of their, their entrenched ways. But as we were talking about previously, I could see Boom and some of the smaller presses wanting to go to Penguin too, because Boom's young adult line caters to a Barnes and Noble and a bookstore yes. and that might be more beneficial to them. We could be looking at some really big changes across the board. This is certainly big on itself, but if Diamond loses the, starts to lose the major indies, it could be a real problem. They could be done. Yeah. And now it appears that Marvel's gonna um, screw over Diamond a little bit because they Canceled their Predator book, yes. which had three hundred thousand pre-orders. Wow! And moved it to the fall, right when the Penguin contract kicks in. And who's going to get Ooh. all of that that money? Huh? And then, as as I understand it, right, if you stay with Diamond, you get your books a month or two later. It's possible, yes. Because Penguin ships it to Diamond, who then ships it to you. Yeah. Now, the weekly books might end up close. Okay. But some of the other things may end up very much delayed, yeah. And I bet those uh, shipments to Diamond get lost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It fell off the truck. The tracking says it's right here. (laughs) It put on your back stoop. It's at home. Yeah. Penguin Random House is also saying they're going to ha- make sure that stores have dedicated customer service reps. Nice. Which Diamond has gone away from. It's now an email system that maybe or maybe not you get an answer within a day or so. Not anyone you can call anymore. Would you like to chat? Click the little thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I should do. I should quit my job at Joe Blow and do a comic book rep for shops around London. There you go. Yeah, you could, probably, you could probably do it on the side. It's probably going to be my new career. Mm. <laughs> You'll see. You'll all see. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I don't really have too much to add because this uh, this business stuff is always a little outside of my circle. And you mm. two did such a such a nice job. Thank you. So, thank you. Yes. Thank yes. Meow. Yeah. All right. What else do we got here? Oh, last but not least. This is the last one, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, Carrie Fukunaga, Carrie Joji Fukunaga, if you're nasty, (laughs) is going to be making Tokyo Ghost. So Rick Remender and Sean Gordon Murphy's Tokyo Ghost is going to be made 
by Legendary. They're making it into a movie, and I am excited. Uh, if you don't know who Kerry Joji Fukunawa is, he did that crazy series called Maniac with Emma Stone, and I believe Jonah Hill, a little while ago that was really weird and very cool. And he is also the latest Bond director for No Time to Die, which has died plenty of times in terms <laughs> of its release yeah. date in theaters. They keep clutching it, holding on to it, pulling it back because they want that money. A lot of money wrapped up in Bond yeah. and they cannot afford to sell it to a streaming service. They need asses in the seats. They need to sell those concessions, your limited edition Bond popcorn tubs and your oversized beverages. <laughs> they need that. Uh, and the movie looks crazy good. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tokyo Ghost, yes, please. It, it is an absolutely bonkers sci-fi, cyberpunk, noir story, kind of samurai mixed in there a little mm -hmm. bit. And, you know, uh, addiction and dependence on technology. It's set in the year 2089. It is, it is wild. And he is a very stylish director that knows how to do sleek and I, I really look forward to like the set designs and the yeah. costumes and all of that stuff. And I really, really, really want Samara Weaving to play Debbie Decay, please. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see it on the big screen. I love that book. And Sean, I, I just hope they just, just lift Sean Gordon Murphy's artwork and just put it on the big screen, please. That's all you need to do. I wonder who they're going to get for Lead Dent. I got. I don't know. Maybe like a like a Dave Bautista. Maybe type. I was thinking. I don't know why I was thinking the guy who plays Hawk on the Titans. Somebody like that who's just kind of big and maybe not not, not them personally, but their characters are kind of dense. Mm. John so, Cena. John <laughs> Cena, bring it on! Yeah, <laughs> just throw a mask <laughs> over his face for the entire movie. Hey, Peacemaker! <laughs> yeah, work. They get Keanu Reeves. Hey, Keanu probably, can do anything, but he not, can. He, he might be a little that, too though. old for this part, though, and they no. can't bulk him up to. Because uh, I mean, Led Dan kind of looks like Bane in some regards. He's a he's a big dude. Okay, so how, how, like about, a, how about Glenn Jacobs, Kane from the WWF, WWE, whatever. Too old. Yeah. Too old. Too old. Oh. Yeah, I mean this. These, like I'm thinking mid to late twenties with these characters. Oh, okay. Just so long as they don't sign Tom Hardy, please don't. I probably just cursed this movie. They're totally gonna have to hire Tom Hardy. Gosh. I don't necessarily have a problem with Tom Hardy. I'm just tired of seeing him and everything. All right, that's that. I think that's is that it. That's the news. That's it. That's the news. That's all we're doing. Let's move on to our question. So I saw this going around on Twitter. Somebody asked, what is your Mount Rushmore of comic book movies? And so I posed this question to the group and we went around and we made a couple of lists. We made, we made kind of our, our personal lists and then what we, we think the Rushmore really would be. To some extent, it's open to interpretation because yeah. I certainly know plenty of people that would argue with mine. Yeah, so. we, well, we, look, our history, we go back, Bobby and I used to debate this all the time. You can't mm -hmm. separate best of and favorites. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I I own every Ed Wood movie. I'm not saying any of them are good. 
I love them all, but they're terrible. But doesn't mean I can't like them and have them be favorite movies. But if I'm taking best of, there's no Ed Wood movie that's going to be in my best of list. So there are no Ed Wood movies on this list, by the way. But same idea. <laughs> same idea. I love right, every well, Fast you... and Furious movie, but there's no way they are the best movies ever made. Except for the fifth one. No, no except for the first Tokyo one by Drift. Roger Corman back in the 50s. <laughs> <gasps> it's a remake! <laughs> Don't shatter. Don't shatter my dreams, Bob. <laughs> Sorry, but it is. It's a remake. All right. Why don't you give us your lists? Okay. So again, they'd be very, very different. So I'll do my Mount Rushmore first and go back the other way around. So Superman versus the Moleman, 1951, which would introduce George Reeves as Superman. It, it acted as the pilot for the long running adventures of Superman television show, which to my way of thinking really begins the silver age of comics. That Superman television show had ratings where 88% of people were watching this program when it was on. And it coming off of Dr. Wortham and superheroes disappearing at so many countries, companies, DC had kept going with Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, but now it was back in American homes and superheroes were okay. And so by 1956, we've got Barry Allen as the Flash in Showcase 4 and then Green Lantern and so on and so forth. So Superman versus the Moment, 1951. Batman, 1989, Tim Burton's opus with Michael Keaton. It is, it was, it's tough. I like the Donner Superman first one and his version of the second one as well. But those are still kind of bam, pow, zap the 66 Adam West Batman television show and theatrical feature. Michael Keaton on that rooftop with that guy. Tell all your friends. He's holding them <laughs> off the roof. If you sat there in a the theater and saw that, then it was a new age of comic book heroes. It was something really special. And people forget there were folks lined up around the block to see that Batman movie. I was one of them. Yeah, there you go. Party man. Jack Nicholson by, the, Nicholson, by the way, made a great deal for himself. He, he took a small salary, considering. His deal was he got a percentage of everybody's merchandising. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. with all the toys and all the T-shirts and all the posters, he got a cut of everything. <sighs> made himself a good deal. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, moving, I need a deal like that. Yeah, moving up a little further, Blade 1998, Wesley Snipes, nice. the first Marvel superhero movie that really counted for something. I mean, there were terrible things like the Matt Salinger, Captain America with the rubber ears or whatever, but those don't count. Oh, no one God. ever saw that in the theater. But that set the tone for what would come. We can do Marvel characters and not the terrible things were done for television. It was... That opening scene in that rave is mm -hmm. something special. Something special. Mm -hmm. Now, for my fourth, I was kind of torn. I could make great cases for X-Men, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, Iron Man, certainly, Avengers, all worthy. Wonder Woman, 2017, mm -hmm. that you could make a movie that showcased a female hero. Flaws, yes. Problems, yes. But make that sort of money. 
and tell the story in a way that really engaged audiences who really didn't even know the character and brought them into the theater. So those are my four. Now, my favorite four would be Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, and Cap Winter Soldier. Wow. That's a nice list. Yeah. Those are both nice lists. But much different than that. See, Bobby, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I like the deep Superman cut you got going on yeah. there. That was a good one. Yeah, well, you know, look, there are superhero movies before that, mostly as speaking of favorite serials, but things, you know, Superman and Batman had serials. There was a Captain America serial in 43 where he didn't have the shield. And it wasn't Steve mm. Rogers either. The Captain Marvel serial from, I think it's 1941, is awesome. Even though he shoots people with a machine gun, which is a bit much. But, <laughs> but a feature film of a superhero, even though it's only 65 minutes long, and took it very, very seriously. The George Reeves Superman is a serious guy. Yeah. And these little folks come from... There's, a, there's an oil drilling rig. It's the deepest well ever drilled. And these guys come up from the center of the earth. It's about prejudice and hatred and otherness. And it's 70 years ago. It's a brilliant little piece of work. If you get the chance, check it out. All right. Yeah. I will do that sometime. All right, John, what do you got? Uh, I kind of went a different, not, not a different direction, but I went with, when I'm thinking about Rushmore, I, I was thinking where comic books today or movies are today. And so I kind of went off of what led to this, I guess, zeitgeist, hopefully longevity of comic book movie domination. And I think it begins with Batman 1989. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time that the studios took a, a big risk with, with a, a comic book movie. I know that the Superman movie and the Superman one and Superman two, but Batman 1989 just, caught on in society and it was a must-see, must-view uh, phenomenon. And then I went with another Batman movie. I went with The Dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, second uh, entry into his trilogy. And I, I chose this because The Dark Knight, I think, showed that you can make a very serious, powerful movie based on comic books um, with the performance of Heath Ledger uh, the Academy Award uh, winning performance. Um, that movie was just phenomenal, powerful, emotional. Uh, I actually, I might have mentioned this before, it's the last thing I do every year in my government class because of all of the parallels to 9-11 and uh, kind of the Bush era politics that I make my students draw comparisons to. And I never get tired of watching it. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've seen that movie but it, it blows me away every time. Then I went to Iron Man because I don't think the Marvel universe exists yeah. today without Iron Man. Uh, putting John Favreau as a director, uh, casting Robert Downey Jr. Uh, that that it, it was a comic book on movie. It, it was fun. It was engaging, and it set up everything that was to come. And then my final one, I went with Endgame. Uh, Avengers Endgame, because I, that I love Endgame. I think it might be one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's actually on my other four, list of four. The last hour of Endgame is everything my preteen, early teen, <laughs> yeah. superhero loving me hoped they would see on the big screen someday. Uh, 
I, I watched it again the other night with my, my daughter. I still get tears in my eyes when Thanos and the whole region is on one side and Captain America <laughs> stands up and he tightens that what's left of his shield. I'm just my wife, my daughter's like, what's wrong, Daddy? I'm like, that's just Captain America, honey. It's uh, just so beautiful. It's just so, it's so awesome. Whatever it takes. Yeah. And then, then you hear the click and it's like, on your left. And it's like, oh, oh they're back. Uh, I, I just think that that movie ha- has to stand as, as one of the, the best. And so that, oh, I made man. that my fourth. That moment when all those rings start opening up, all oh, the portals, oh and everybody starts pouring through. Uh, the theater that we were in when we saw that just erupted. Yeah. Everybody lost their minds. And I love that it's, it's Sam that speaks first, but it's the Black Panther. It's T'Challa who appears He starts first. shouting commands and yeah. they all form up. And, oh, 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 God. Oh, and then when so good. the man comes roaring out of the basement, it's like, this is fucking perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like then uh, Avengers Assemble. Oh, God, oh. yes. And then I went with my, my, my favorite for uh, Dark Knight makes the cut and Endgame makes the cut. But then uh, Winter Soldier. I loved Winter Soldier. Um, and then uh, Black Panther. Right on, man. Yep. Awesome. Those are great choices. What do I got here? Let's see. For me, let's scroll down a little bit. Uh, so for my my like universal main list, uh, I have a lot of the same. I have Batman 89 on my list because, of course, like I said, I was already a huge Prince fan before Batman came out. I could tell you some Prince stories. But that Party Man song, every (laughs) time that came on, the Bat Dance, I knew what time it was. It was Bat Time. And I remember going to the movies. I went to the Corum UA to go and see that. And saw it with my parents. And like you said, Bob, just up on the roof with Batman. What are you? I'm Batman. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so iconic and so good. A little goofy in spots. I watched it about two years ago, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I don't really remember this part <laughs> being this cheesy, but okay. But I don't care. I love it. It's height of Burton. Doing what he did best, uh, you know, some of his other stuff maybe through the years has been a little questionable. But back when he was doing Batman and Batman Returns and Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, that whole era was just so amazing. And that movie is in there and he did justice to that character like no other. And it was a it was one of the first times that I remember being a part of a cultural phenomenon when that movie came out. Yeah. You know, and I remember buying the VHS copy with that sweet cover of the bat symbol yeah. that the, it all had. The black and then the, the symbol. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was so good. Undo the plastic and it comes out of the sheath at the bottom. And you just, <laughs> oh, it's time for Batman. Anyway, Batman 89. Um, I also have Blade cool. on my list because you got to have Blade on the list. Blade is a fantastic film. Uh, started it way back when. Uh, Alice on my list is Wonder Woman because, of course, Wonder Woman is on this list. Another movie that just woke so many people up to that character and that world, you know, where we, we had people kind of rallying with the Marvel stuff and everything like that. Wonder Woman brought something new to the stage and proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that female characters and female creators can bank the hell 
out of a movie at the cinema and shame on you for thinking otherwise. That movie showed everybody, you know, uh, what do you, what do you say? Um, Oh God, was it wonder wonder woman crawled? So Captain Marvel could fly or something like that. Maybe, but you know, you the examples that people always use, oh, Elektra and Catwoman and Supergirl did so badly. Yes, they were terrible. They were awful movies. Right. If you wanted to uh, to make uh, comparisons, okay, terrible action movies with guys in them also don't make any money because they're terrible. You make, yeah. you make them well as Wonder Woman, and you mentioned Captain Marvel. Now you have something different. You have billion-dollar movies that can lead franchises. Amazing. Amazing achievement for sure. And last but not least, because I wanted to throw a little something in for the indie comic book movies. I know that there's not as much of them. Uh, A lot of that stuff has gone to television and streaming, but I really hope that we see more stuff like Tokyo Ghost and other comic book related movies. But The Crow, Mm. can we please give it up to The Crow? That was one of the biggest surprises that I ever had it's pouring, pouring rain. And my mom and I went just on a whim. I heard it was a comic book movie. Did not know that I was bringing my mom to an R-rated movie where Ooh. there's people getting killed on Halloween and other terrible things happen to them. And I was just, it's like when you when you would listen to like your your parents are like, oh, you can, you can choose the music. And you play one of your tapes, but then you find a reason to turn it down when they curse real quick. Like, oh, I want to just tell you something about it. School happened. Oh, never mind. So, you know, like I realized very quickly what this movie was going to be. And I just like, oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble. But when the movie was over, my mom could not stop raving about it. And that was the movie that started my mom, every time that we get together, I, my mom's only been here once since I moved here in four years, but we watched the hell out of a bunch of Marvel movies when she was here the last time. And that's how we bond. That's what we do. If I watched horror movies with my dad growing up, it's the comic book movies that I reserve from my mom. And she always catches up on that stuff when she's with me. And so that's very, very, it's something that's very close to my heart. And The Crow is what started all of that for us. So uh, my personal list, my personal Mount Rushmore, again, The Crow, just Brandon Lee's face, stick him up on that mountain. Miles Morales, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, absolutely not only my favorite Spider-Man movie, but definitely in my top three favorite comic book movies, period. Absolutely love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm going to go with Atomic Blonde. So much fun. Because I, I... just love that movie so much and I have so many good memories attached to it and it just, it kicks so much ass and I could watch it anytime. And last but not least, and I say this with absolute pride, Mystery Men. (laughs) I want Mystery Men on my Mount Rushmore. (laughs) The bowler. That is what would be on the mountain, not the bowler. The bowling bowling ball with the the dad's skull inside would be my, my mountain decoration for that movie. I love that movie so, so much. 
It is so much fun. I do very I've little things it. well, but I shovel better than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I shovel well. I shovel very well. Yeah. What an amazing cast, right? When you, when you, look oh, at yeah. movie, you got me. You got me to buy that movie, Steve. Granted, it was only for three dollars, but I did buy it, and it's right in the rack. Oh Jesus, I love that movie so much. I watch clips of it on YouTube all the time just to like get a laugh in the middle of the day. Ah, <sighs> Mister Furious. Mister Furious. <laughs> You don't want to make me angry. <laughs> Screaming on the car, then throwing a tantrum. Yes. Oh God. Uh, Tom Waits hitting on uh, on uh, on people inside the old folks' home. Yeah. Eddie Izzard shows up. It is just love, love the auditions. Yeah. Uh, Friggin' Jeffrey Rush right, is yeah. Casanova Frankenstein. Come on. Come on, how could you not love this movie? I like Greg Kinnear as, uh, what was it, Captain Incredible or whatever? Uh, Captain Amazing. Yeah, Captain Amazing, yes. Yep. yep. He's such a jerk I know. in that movie. With all those sponsorships, he looks like a NASCAR driver. Yeah. He does, he does. <laughs> oh my God, a lot of people are in that movie. Janine Garofalo, uh, Dane Cook shows up at one point as Waffle, Waffle Man. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman, yeah. come on. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, Paul Hank, Rubens. Hank as, uh, oh God, what is what is Paul the spleen. Rubens? The spleen. The spleen. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Oh my God. Pull I watched that finger. last he, summer. That movie. I love that movie. When it it's came, so good. It's like it just came out of nowhere because it's just such an obscure. I mean, it's the flaming carrot and the mystery men, and it's like yeah, <laughs> just make it into a movie. <laughs> it's so warped and weird, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's just, it's so colorful. It's like a like a early uh, Terry Gilliam movie yeah. almost. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's got this like the whole movie is drunk feel yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Like you uh, like you took a pill and you drank too much and hey, here's this. <laughs> just junk it, you yeah. miserable cuss. <laughs> that little sucker just saved your life. <laughs> You mentioned the uh-huh. indie thing, Steve. We we do think about comic book movies and the superhero aspect of yeah. it, but you know, Atomic Blonde was a graphic novel. Yep, I Kill Giants, which the movie they made was really, really faithful and lovely. Uh, definitely, uh, we did a whole show about it and got lots of people crying that night. Road Road <laughs> to Perdition is is from a graphic oh, novel. Yeah. Tamara Drew, which you mentioned before, Men in Black. The last thing that people don't know that were actually comic books or graphic novels before that have turned into these other things. And at some level, I do think it's helped not legitimize comics, but put them into somewhat different audience participation, awareness that, well, it's not all that Adam West stuff we saw when we were kids. There's Mm -hmm. something deeper going on. So it's a cool yeah. thing. Yeah. This is a very cool thing. You know what else is a cool thing? When people respond to us on Twitter uh-huh. and tell us what their Mount Rushmores are. Lovely segue. Hey, Nathan Chio says Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Logan Ooh. would be their Mount Rushmore. I think that Logan is a fine choice. That movie made me cry. Very, very sad movie. It's a great movie, but it's sad at the end. Uh, Lee Ryan says The Crow, A, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Deadpool, and Dread 
Also, honorable mentions to Blade and Atomic Blonde. Do you see Scott Pilgrim Enjoy coming it. out to theaters again? Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, I think it's its anniversary, like 15-year anniversary or something like that. Sure. And it's going to be a like a Dolby Digital remix of it. I'm sure that'll look gorgeous for however many people are going to be able to make it out to that thing. <laughs> uh, Alex Mady, my work husband number one, <laughs> says Batman 89, Spider-Man 2, Unbreakable, and The Incredibles. And so then we had then we oh. had the the argument that The Incredibles is not based on a comic book, but it is about superheroes, and we're willing to bend the rules a little. Right. Well, Unbreakable is like, not based on a comic book either. Right. So we're saying Hancock, you know. Yeah. All right. But hey. it's okay. It's your work husband. We'll let it slide. Well, yes. Incredible. Work husband number two. <laughs> well, we, in Kevin. Incredibles is based on a comic book. It just Brad Bird won't admit to it. Oh, it's, yeah. It was a little thing, something called the Fantastic Four. Little thing called the Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> little thing. Little thing. Uh, Kevin Fraser says Iron Man, another Spider-Man two, not Blade one, but Blade two. Guillermo del Toro. At least it wasn't Blade three. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also Lone Wolf and Cub. There's apparently Ooh. a six film series. Yeah, they used to was... they used to air them in the, like on USA Network and like Saturdays back in the day. They're they're good. Yeah, violent but good. Yes. All right. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Who is this? Somebody named Bronwyn Kelly Say. Hmm. Hmm. Why, don't you have yeah. a, why don't you ever come upstairs and read it instead of laughing? <laughs> <laughs> she, I can still hear her. She's down there. She is yucking it up, drinking her uh, her Hendrix gin and <laughs> chatting with her her brother and her uh-huh. and her friends every Friday night. She does this every Friday night for like the last couple of weeks. And I've been getting uh, together with my friends to play video games and such. It's nice. All right. Let's see. She says Blade, The Old Guard, Black Panther, and Wonder Woman. She also says that Birds of Prey is a better movie, but Wonder Woman better represents the concept and uh, the concept of preservation. So I there don't you go. disagree with that. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Bronwyn. I will probably see you in a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Oof. That's it. That's uh, Those are our responses. I think we might have had one or two more uh, in the Twitters, but I don't have that open right now. And we're just going to move on. We were going to do, usually we say, you know, oh, what books are you picking up this week? But because we got all turned around and things got screwed up, we have already purchased our books, so why don't we just tell everybody what we bought? Bob, what did you buy this well, week? Apparently, sadly, from what John is saying, I did buy Batman Catwoman number four, uh, Return of the Valkyrie number four as well, which is a King in Black thing, sort of. Captain America 28 by Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's got two issues left to go. This is a big Red Skull issue. Lots of major cap moments in that one. Really good fun. Nice. All right. A little bit better than the one book from last week. <laughs> yes. Well, next week, next month is a uh, four week month. So it's slightly better. All right. Well, things are, things are looking up. Yeah. All right, John, what did you end up purchasing? I did get Batman Catwoman number four. It, it, I, if you're, if you're a fan of penguins, the animal, this book might not be for you. And I'll, I'm sure I'll talk more about it next week. 
Um, Strange Adventures number nine, which I'm just going to read that when it's all done, but I'm still getting it. Beta Ray Bill number one, uh, which I can't can't wait to read. Um, I also got Captain America, and then I got uh, X-Men Legends number two for some more 90s nostalgia. X-Men number 19, and then I got Power Rangers Unlimited Air to Darkness number one. So I didn't buy Beta Ray Bill number one because I read the little synopsis and the first thing it's like spinning out of the events of whatever the Venom thing, King in Black. And I just went, ah, I didn't read that. So no, but uh, I do love Daniel Warren Johnson. What's I, ha- that? I have not read that. I did not read that snippet. Otherwise I might've reevaluated. Ah, you uh, gotta I mean, now do your research. I know, but it's Beta Ray Bill. It's Johnson. I'm I'm going to give it a go. I know. I just I I I will would when you come back and you tell me how awesome it was, I'll probably go back and and grab it. Yeah. But uh, trying to be good. I'm trying it'll, to not it'll be buy on Marvel everything. Unlimited in three months. I don't have Marvel Unlimited. Oh yeah, Canada. Sorry. Oh no, that's that's the DC thing. Oh. I don't know if we have Marvel Unlimited. We probably do. I have no idea. Anyway, uh, so I bought, what did I buy? I bought X-Men number 19, uh, Crossover number five, Department of Truth number seven. You already know that I bought Shadecraft number one. I also bought Witchblood number one, which I have yet to read. I bought Silk number one, which I have read, and we will definitely talk about on the next podcast because it was a very good. And I also bought the hardcover for Skyward, and I bought a independent graphic novel called a sister so i am going to read that as well it looked absolutely gorgeous and it's going to be a major motion picture according to the back of the book nice so never heard of it before but it's really pretty and it looked it looked nice i picked it up in the store i thumbed through it a little bit and i said these pages are gorgeous i am gonna just take a chance and purchase this and see what happens so I will spin the wheel and let you know what happens with that. Probably the next time that we get together, uh, I'm going to make that book my project. It's not very long. And I think that is it for me. Yes. Yeah, those are all the things that I got this week. Uh, I already made my list for next week, but you can't know about that until next time. So, ha. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's the show. Does anybody have any closing statements? Yes. Really quickly, March 29th was the latest incarnation of the Visible Women Initiative. So if you go over to Kelly Sue DeConnick's Twitter page, her assistant, Turner Lobey, was highlighting all sorts of wonderful female creators whose work you should check out. So go check that out. Awesome. Very good. Very cool. And just again... Make sure you send us your messages, your questions, your whatevers, whatever you want to do. Send them on over, podcasttalkingcomicbooks.com. And also, just super quick, I want to thank everybody for their patience, for us uh, not putting out the show on a regular day and having to push things a little bit. I want to thank my co-hosts, Bob and John, for clearing their schedules and joining us. Um, everybody else wanted to be here, but... Uh, we're busy. So I appreciate you guys being here and we appreciate you listening at home. 
We have reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got talkingcomicbooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. And if you like this podcast, go and check out ladiesofahala.com and the Progressively Horrified podcast. Bob, where could our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey? <laughs> is not here. Yeah, I knew that. John? <laughs> well, Joey's uh, not on the internet anymore, so uh, at John P. Burke on Twitter. I'm just going to leave that in. I don't even care. <laughs> uh, Aaron is – he's at Aaron Amos, right? Or does he have numbers Aaron, next to his Aaron name? Aaron J. Amos. Aaron J. Amos. Thank you, Bob. And uh, I am at dead underscore anchorus. Uh, Sarah is at geek country lady. Jessica's at Jarska for all the things. Bronwyn is at shiny baby B. So for Bob. Thanks for all the lovely birthday wishes, everybody. Yeah. For Joey. Thanks guys. You guys are great. Steve's the best. Uh, For John. Thanks Joey. That is so nice of you. John. Joey, you're delightful tonight. Oh, I know. Aren't I always? (laughs) He sounds nothing like that. That is a terrible Joey impression. Yeah, he won't listen to it. <laughs> nah, he won't. He never does. He never does. Yeah, he does. We love you, Joey. All right, I am. Uh, I already said that. You know where I am. You know where to find me. Uh, hi and bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. I haven't said that in a while. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, which is going to be sooner than you think. Because now we're off schedule. Uh, Until next time. To be continued. Continued.